going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 23 of Courtside Views. I'm your host, Andrew Bostic. The games have been great this past week, and in today's episode, we are going to be talking about breakout players. Cub players that have kind of gone under the radar, but are starting to show their true value to an NBA franchise and potentially have a little stardom in there. Who really knows, but I'm very excited to get into that. We're going to be talking three of those players, and I really want to touch on some news that we've happened so far. Um, first of all, Victor Oladipo, man. Victor Oladipo has officially made his NBA return. He is made back on the court for the first time in 298 days. I mean, Victor Oladipo is one of those what-if conversations. Like, he's not as big as that those Derrick Rose injuries or the Brandon Roy. But Victor Oladipo, man, in his prime, in his first year with the Pacers, he was an All-NBA player. He was third-team All-NBA for the Pacers. It was their first year post-Paul George. Oladipo comes in averaging 20, almost 24, 5-5, five and five, and really gave the Pacers, like, a future building block to play with. And then he has just been ravaged, ravaged by injuries. Over the past three years, he has only appeared in 54 games that is just so so unfortunate he's been traded multiple times he's trying to get back to the league and it's really excited to see him back on the court he looked healthy he looked just excited to be there he only played in 15 minutes and I think that's legitimately perfect I think that the best part for him is that he's on a winning team that necessarily doesn't need him I think he really has to prove that he is healthy and he is ready to make a contribution to this kind of team because the Heat legitimately can run 10 deep without Victor Oladipo. If Oladipo can prove that he's healthy and can make a contribution, his talent is there. He's only 29 years old, which is absolutely insane thinking about. I feel like he's been in the league for so long, but he still has, I feel like, so much to offer. And in a 3 and D role at his peak, like you're not expecting this guy to be an all-NBA talent. But if he can give you 10 to 15 solid minutes a night off the bench, playing with guys like Gabe Vincent, playing with guys like Tyler Hero, playing with guys like Dwayne Dedman off the bench, whatever it is. The Miami Heat are a very deep team. So I'm very excited just to see whatever he has to offer because you saw him bang a couple threes. You saw him play some great defense in very short spurts. I just want him to be healthy. I want him to be out there playing great basketball because it's just so fun to have him back in the league. If he gets a little bit of bounce, maybe we're in for a little bit of a show. Uh, The biggest game, in my opinion, over the past week, I think really showed a lot of colors for two Eastern Conference contenders, and unfortunately, they both are going two opposite ways. Uh, The Philadelphia 76ers beat the Chicago Bulls 121-106. to We are seeing absolute masterclass from James Harden and Joel Embiid. I have been very well known to not necessarily be the biggest James Harden fan. I have not been a big fan of his style of how he's been playing with ISO ball realistically for the past 10 years. I think he's a great stat stuffer to a certain extent. He's put up incredible numbers in the regular season, but just has not performed in the playoffs. What he's been able to do in really stepping into the Philadelphia has been tremendous. I mean, he it looks effortless to what he's doing, running the pick and roll, and just seeing what Joel Embiid, he's never played with that kind of space, and Joel Embiid is just dominating left and right. 43-16, and 16, four assists in this absolute drubbing. Yes, the Bulls didn't have Vucevic, but it didn't matter if he was there or not. Joel Embiid was going to go off regardless. Tyrese Maxey is the perfect third wheel in this team. The three of them are poetry in motion. The offense looks incredible. Uh, they really have not faced a lot of tremendous competition, but when they start to get challenged, I think this offense is going to hum. The defense is going to be the biggest part. It really is. And the playoffs are a different battle because they really start to shorten the rotations and you start to see this, the best teams really all the time. And I want to see how Harden starts to be in those matchups. Joel Embiid has not been a great playoff performer really until last year. So I'm very excited to see how those two play together in the playoffs. But 
76ers look like absolute bona fide championship contenders, and they're ready to step up and kind of break that curse of what's going on in the 76ers land. But the Chicago Bulls are really the kind of team I want to feature right now. And they are coming back to earth. And they're still a top four team in the East right now. But they are 0-14 against the top three seeds in their Eastern Conference or Western Conference. And that speaks volumes to where they are. And I think that they are definitely a regular season team to a certain extent. And I don't want to necessarily compare them to, you know, the former Atlanta Hawks back when they had that crazy run with Jeff T, Kyle Korver, Al Horford, and Paul Millsap. But they just strike me as a Cinderella team, has a great regular season, great record, and then in the playoffs, they, I don't want to say they're guaranteed for a first-round exit because that's a a little extreme, but if they got bounced in the first round, would not even strike me. Would not even surprise me in any way, shape, or form. I think Chicago has a tremendous offense. DeMar DeRozan has been one of the stories of the season. He's a legit MVP candidate. I think that you have other guys that are going to actually get the award, but he's going to be a first-team All-NBA type player. He's incredible. Levine looks great. They have Ayo DeSumo who stepped up. Kobe White's played great in short spurts. Lonzo, when he goes back healthy, is going to be great. But their defense will always be bad. I'm sorry. Like, their perimeter defense is great when you have players like Lonzo, Caruso, and DeSumo just playing on the outside. But interior, you're starting DeMar DeRozan at the four. You're playing, Jared, like, Grant, a six foot four guard at power forward. Losing Pat Williams was huge. And you have Vooch and now Tristan Thompson manning the center position. You're going to get bodied by every single team playing down low. You're not going to be able to do it. You can't play this type of team over and over and over. And expect anything different. Vooch has played out of his mind defensively of trying to be a paint protector, but he's just not. He's not doing what Jokic is doing as a big body, deterrent, contesting shots left and right. He's not the type of player. He just doesn't have that kind of athleticism or IQ. He's just not that type of guy. So Chicago just has this massive hole in their defense. And I'm sorry, Thompson, Vooch, and Tony Bradley aren't going to stop anybody in the NBA playoffs. Right now, they're looking at a matchup with the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Toronto Raptors, or potentially even the Brooklyn Nets. I think all three of those teams beat the Chicago Bulls in the first-round series, no doubt about it. But it's so tough because defense is such a massive part of it, and Chicago has a massive, glaring weakness in the interior, and there really isn't an option to do it. To fix that issue, trade deadline's over. You're not going to get a stuffing-the-paint center in the buyout market So they are stuck with what they have, and the clock is ticking for Chicago, and unfortunately, I think their season's going to end a lot sooner than they think. And we got some great news on the Greg Popovich front. He has officially tied Don Nelson for the most wins in NBA history. I love Greg Popovich. I think that he is arguably the greatest coach in NBA history. I would make the argument that he is the greatest coach in NBA history. Obviously, Phil Jackson has something to say about that. But I think just with what... Greg Popovich has been able to do in the market size. I think when you look at him in San Antonio, in the small market, you know, taking, and they got David Robinson, guys like Avery Johnson, Steve Kerr, then they draft Tim Duncan, and the entire franchise just shifts. They battled back and forth with other dynasties, with the early 2000s Lakers. They went back and forth with the Nets teams. Then all of a sudden, now they're battling the next Lakers series, then the Boston Celtics, then they're going back and forth with the Miami Heat, and they just constantly were there. The Spurs were a legit 20-year dynasty that just did not break. 
And I love what Greg Popovich was able to do, not only have an impact on the NBA, but also an impact on the women's game, an impact in USA basketball. Greg Popovich just had so much to do with what the NBA looks like currently because he was just such a modern NBA player. and I'm sorry, a modern NBA coach. And Greg Popovich deserves all the flowers. He deserves all the credit in the world. And it's going to be a really sad day when Popovich does retire. And hopefully he's still got some more years left because I think that this league is so great with him. And hopefully he's got some more. And if it is the last run, I tip my hat to you, Pop, and you deserve to retire as the winningest coach in NBA history. NBA fans are constantly in search of the next big thing. And whether it's a superstar or an all-star or a breakout candidate, whoever it is, they always want to see that new shiny player going off and something that they can brag about. But a lot of sometimes these players go under the radar. They go unnoticed. And while certain fan bases are talking to them, maybe other fan bases don't know. So I really want to talk about a couple players here that maybe the average NBA fan may not know. So I'm super excited to kind of just focus on those type of players. And the first one I really want to touch on is Robert Williams. Robert Williams plays for the Boston Celtics. He is currently their starting center. Dude's only 23 years old. And he's undersized for the position. You know, he's six foot nine, 240. And the first person that I think about when I look at him is just Ben Wallace. You look at the quality of play that he has on the defensive end, and he is just going completely unnoticed in this aspect from a casual fan in my perspective. I think that he is a legitimate candidate for Defensive Player of the Year right now with what the Celtics have been able to do to shift their entire focus from the first half to the second half of giving him a bigger role and allowing him to legitimately have a free-flowing defensive role of guarding one through five. He is averaging two blocks, one steal. He has a top 20 PER in the entire NBA. He has a top five defensive rating. And opponents are shooting 5.6% less than against any center in the paint in the NBA over the past 30 games. That is an incredible stat when you look at him, especially for his size. As the NBA gets smaller, and you're having a couple teams that are zagging, you have obviously the Philadelphia 76ers with Joel Embiid, the Nuggets with Jokic, and even the Milwaukee Bucks and Cavaliers who are starting you know, two seven-footers at the same time. But Robert Williams can guard all of those type of players, and has shown that he can do it with success. And what's crazy about Robert Williams is that he got this, you know, nice little contract last year, four years, forty-four million, with really not even being a starter. He only started seventeen games last year. Now, in his first year of being a starter, he looks like an absolute steal playing in this team. And a huge underrated part of his game is passing. He has 10-plus games of over four assists per game, and he broke out that one game where he actually got a triple-double of 10 points, 10 rebounds, and 10 assists. He also, in that game, had four blocks. The dude's an incredible rim protector, but he is so quick at his size, you don't see a lot of players that are actually able to move with what he's able to do laterally. So it's crazy. You look at this, I almost compare it to, would you rather have a player like Robert Williams, who may not be the interior defender of, let's say, a Rudy Gobert, but what he's able to do laterally and how he can guard legitimately power forwards, small forwards, and switch on to guards, that's a huge asset to any team. And I think that's exactly why the Balls and Celtics are having so much success. You look at their new contract of a lineup, if they want to go big, they can start Rob Williams and Al Horford together because they can be interchangeable. Rob Williams can go attack on the perimeter and then drop back and protect the paint if Al Horford switches out. Or if he's going to be that rim protector and then they go small ball by moving Jason Tatum back to the four 
or Jalen Brown to the three and moving in Derek White next to Marcus Smart, that's also been an effective lineup. So they can really match up with anybody, but the X factor is Robert Williams. He fits into every single one of those lineups. He's an incredible rim runner. He is great in the pick and roll. He's shooting 72% from the floor and granted most of his shots are from the paint. But you're starting to see him get a lot more comfortable playing on the block. When he gets the ball in the offensive zone, he's dishing it down low. He's able to play the high low without Horford, but also understands his role in the sense of, okay, Jason Tatum, he's our guy. Jalen Brown, he's our guy. By letting those two rock and understanding where to be on the floor, that's a huge part of knowing your role. Now, is Robert Williams ever going to be an all-star? I think it's going to be tough because you have to find voters to really promote defense, but this guy is going to be a defensive player of the year candidate for years to come, especially only being 23 years old. As this modern NBA shifts and he's able to really be that small ball center, but legitimately being a physical you know, alpha defensive player, He's going to fit in any NBA, but in the modern NBA, he can legitimately be a bruiser down low. And if he can start to take over on smaller opponents, you know, he may be even strong enough to, you know, outplay a Draymond Green type down low because of just his physical stature. And I'm excited to kind of see how that transitions over as the Celtics start to grow and they start to find their group because they're such a young core. Robert Williams is, has the potential to be, you know, that number three behind Tatum and behind Brown, but in a totally different light. He's going to let them rock and say, hey, you guys are the alphas. You guys are the dogs in the offensive end. I'm going to clean up on defense and let you guys really show out. And that's an exciting part to have. And on such a team-friendly contract, you can build a really, really nice core around this whole group right here. And the Celtics are going to be able to do a lot of things in the Eastern Conference. If they don't make a run this year, you're going to start to see the Celtics creep up to those top three, top two spots in the Eastern Conference for the next couple years, and it's very exciting to watch. Uh, next up is one that I personally have not been giving a lot of love to, and that's Gary Trent. Gary Trent from the Toronto Raptors, he just came over last year in that deal with Norm Powell. Um, so seeing him was a little bit interesting. I really didn't know too much about Gary Trent. So I'm a UNC fan. I know a little bit about him from the Duke days. But in the NBA, I really didn't see a lot of promise in him. I think he was a great shooter, very big for his size, about six foot five, 220 for a guard. Not really that quick laterally, isn't super athletic, but is a good shooter. And I think he was always going to find his role off the bench in that sense. But how he stepped up in that year that he got traded and kind of showed out as that scorer and then moved on to the Raptors, I think now in his first full year as a starter, you're seeing him take that next step and take that next leap. But he's fitting into the offense perfectly. As Kyle Lowry has stepped out, Fred VanVleet has stepped into that role of the initiator. He's the offensive guy. He's the lead guard. He's going to try and be that de facto playmaker. And you see that as he's averaging almost seven assists per game. But when you have guys like Siakam, you have guys like OG, you have guys like Scotty Barnes, Presh Chichua, Chris Boucher, three-point shooting isn't necessarily the full flex of this offense. So Gary Trent is essentially given the green light to launch three-pointers and jump shots because he has to stretch the floor offensively. Fred VanVleet, same thing. He's shooting almost 10 threes a game. Gary Trent's shooting over eight threes a game. And 80% of Trent's shots are outside of the paint. So Gary Trent is legitimately just a jump shooter. And while his field goal percentages are only, he's only shooting 42% from the field overall, 
He's shooting 38% from three, and I think that's a massive factor of how he's accepting his role and doing it extremely well. To be a top 40 scorer in the NBA, you have to know how to get a bucket. And I think that how he does it by just being a jump shooter is very impressive. He fits the offense. He knows his role. And Gary Trent, to me, is never going to be an all-star. But if he starts to even shoot a higher percentage and maybe turn it into a 75-25, attacking the paint a little bit more, you're going to start to see him creep up more, get a little more free throw attempts. He's an 83% free throw shooter for his career. So he's a great, when he gets to the line, he's almost automatic for him, which is awesome. And he's starting to increase his defense. His athleticism will always keep him to be a, you know, below average defender. But when you play with players like Scotty Barnes, when you play like players like, you know, Presh Chua, Pascal Siakam, OG Anunoby, you are playing with super athletes on the defensive end who are going to give you a lot of wiggle room in that sense. So he's actually having the best defensive year in his career. And he has an exact average defensive rating. The average defensive rating for an NBA player is 110.6. That's where Gary Trent is currently at. So for him to be an average defensive player, that's right up his alley. And I think for him playing next to Fred Van Vliet, who's an undersized guard, you see Trent take on these bigger defensive roles. And if he can just be where he is right now, an average defender, Gary Trent can be a 20 point per game player. And I think with guys like OG and Scotty, as they start to grow, you know, OG is taking steps up at every single point in his career. Scotty Barnes only a rookie. Siakam is playing at an all NBA level. If the Toronto Raptors get depth, this team is going to be a contender. This year, I think it's a little bit interesting because their bench is really not much. They have Malachi Flynn and, you know, Banton has been a really cool rookie story, but they really do not have much coming off that bench. They were hoping to get something from Dragic, but Dragic just decided he does not want to play for that roster. So I think that they need to really fix out that bench and fix out what's going on back there. But in order for that to happen, this team has such a great starting lineup core, and you see that. And I'm very excited to see what's going on and how Gary Trent fits in there because he does not get that much of a credit because of where Fred Van Vliet and Siakam have been. Trent's the legit number three option in this offense. OG's a great do-it-all type player, but I legitimately think Trent is that number three role right now. And if he continues to shoot this way, Trent's going to be a 20-point scorer in the NBA. And that's a huge, huge plus for this Toronto Raptors offense. Last but not least, he's probably the most popular player out of these three, just based on the market that he was playing in, and he's also a current NBA champion. Uh, Kyle Kuzma. Kyle Kuzma has had a roller coaster of an NBA career so far, and he's only been in the league five seasons. Anytime you get drafted into the Los Angeles market, you are in for a hell of a ride. And he's done that. He came in. Lakers did not have any expectations coming in. He was able to kind of flow, figure out his game. He was drafted 27th overall into the Lakers, coming out of Utah. Didn't really know where he was going to be. He's undersized power forward. And he was just came out playing really well. He was named to the all-rookie team uh, in his second year. He averaged 18 and 6. Started to really flow into it. Then LeBron comes in. And obviously, we all know what happens when LeBron comes in. Things change. Tides change. And roles change. Kuzma was forced into a bench role. He was forced to take a massive step back in his development, and as well as they kind of threw him into this 3 and D role. So now he's playing playing the 3, he's playing the 4, playing some small ball 5 in lineups with LeBron when AD was out, as well as when they weren't playing Dwight or JaVale McGee, and they won an NBA championship. So, obviously, if that's where they're running, 
they're going to roll with that. They had a little bit of turnover, so Kuzma was kind of in and out of the lineup. They didn't have that success of the year. Injuries happened to Anthony Davis as well as LeBron James, so the expectations weren't the same. People expected Kuzma to step up and be this, you know, this star, but he wasn't put into an offensive position to really be the star. You never really saw him with the ball on the wing. You never really saw him really create offense himself. He wasn't really given those opportunities. He was given a lot of three-point opportunities. He was given a lot of catch-and-shoot opportunities or catch-and-go opportunities, but not a lot of you know pick-and-roll ball handling, a lot of initiating in that sense. And that was a huge detractor, and he was you know essentially the scapegoat to a certain extent for the Los Angeles Lakers of well, why they lost in the first round. It's like, oh, well, we had injuries, but you know, we, we didn't have that third star. You know, we need that third star in order to be successful in the Lakers. You know, this is a superstar league. We need it. LeBron's here. 80's here. Go get that star. So they did it. Trade Kuzma, KCP, and Harrell, as well as a second round pick. Shipped them out of town, sent them to the Wizards, and brought in Russell Westbrook. Now we can sit here and talk about how absolutely atrocious that Westbrook trade has been and how awful the Lakers team has been so far. We all know that. What Kuzma has been able to do, he looks completely refreshed. The chains are off, he's in a new market, and he's been a new player. Now, I know the expectations have changed and the franchise really isn't winning, but when you look at what he's been able to do and how they changed the culture over there with the Wizards, you know, they early on, early in the season, after the first month and a half, they were the number one seed in the East, and I know that's not really you know anything crazy to brag about. Injuries have played a factor in that, you know, chemistry has played a factor in that, and just a little bit of everything. But Kuzma has just been this staple. He's played in almost every single game for the Wizards. He's been a huge part of it. He's having career highs in rebounds, assists, blocks, steals, and three-point attempts. Kuzma is being put in this opportunity to be a crafty offensive hub. Is Kuzma going to be this 25-point-per-game player? Maybe not, but I do see Kuzma as a legit 20-10 and 10 type player, and that's exciting to see because even on a rebuilding team, he can be a huge part of it. Kyle Kuzma has you know, such a crazy part of his game. He's six foot eight. he's 225, but he's massively athletic, and he doesn't really get a lot of credit for that, and what he's able to do, you know, Bradley Beal has been hurt for a lot of the season. They do not have an initiating point guard. Beal's had to do a lot of initiating in that sense. I mean, are we going to trust Raul Neto or Aaron Holiday when they were here? No. Kuzma's had to do a lot of that. As well, they don't have a lot of offensive centers. Daniel Gafford's great defensively, doesn't bring a lot offensively. Thomas Bryant's still coming off a torn ACL. He's kind of really dabbling into it. And they have young, unproven players like Corey Kispert, Rui Hachimura, Denny Avia. So this is kind of a grab bag of talent, but the one staple has been Kuzma. Kuzma just leads the team in points, rebounds, assists, because Bradley Beal just has not played enough games. So it's exciting to see Kuzma just be this baller. And what's nice is that I think he's finally ready to get that opportunity to be that third star because he has shown that he can play that role and be efficient in it. You know, anybody can go put up these stats and numbers on, you know, shitty shooting numbers. You see a player like Jeremy Grant out here averaging over 20 points, you know, shooting 40% from the field. Who cares? But he's going to get a crazy contract. I love Kuzma's game because he's hitting clutch threes. He's hitting game winners. He's attacking the paint. He's guarding shooting guards, small forwards, power forwards, small ball centers. He's doing what he can. And for a team like the Wizards, the Wizards need to kind of figure out where they fit. And are they going to go into a full-blown rebuild 
and let Bradley Beal walk or trade him in a sign and trade and build around a player like Kuzma or figure out what they have in these young players. And I don't necessarily know. I think it's tough to say, oh, yeah, we're going to let our franchise player walk. But if they are going to keep Bradley Beal, there are a lot of rebuilds out there that would love to have an option to take Bradley Beal and Kyle Kuzma and figure the rest out. They have a lot of young players that they can package and try and bring on another player. They have Chris Porzingis, which is a very interesting player that could be an X factor into this because I would love to see what a healthy Kristaps, Bradley Beal, and Kuzma fit into this with all these you know mishmash of young players. It's very interesting. I think the Wizards have a base that a lot of teams would love to take that almost like lottery ticket aspect of it. And Kuzma, if he plays his cards right, he's only 26 years old, man. And he has a lot of good years ahead of him. And heading into next year, if Bradley Beal does come back, I mean, right now, if this roster stays the exact same, you're looking at Bradley Beal at the 2, Kuzma at the 4, Chris out at the 5. I think you can throw in Denny Avia at the 3 if you really want that 3 and D type aspect. And if they can bring in any point guard, they're going to get a top 10 pick in the draft this year in the lottery. And they have a lot of good guards toward the back end who are ready to play point guard. If Jordan Ivey somehow falls to this roster, holy hell, that would be amazing. I mean... Or if they package some of these young players and maybe go for you know a crafty veteran, maybe they take a risk on a Ricky Rubio to really get the playmaking in- intact. It's interesting. They have a couple ways that they can go with this, and I think the Wizards just need to kind of figure it out. Do they, because you can't go half-ass into a rebuild. We've seen how this is done over and over and over, but I do think getting Kristaps gives them the opportunity to let Kuzma shine in an offensive facilitator role. I mean, a pick-and-roll just from a size perspective with Kuzma and Kristaps is going to be really interesting to watch because you're going to create mismatches all over the floor just with KP's size. And I'm happy to see Kuzma just smiling and playing basketball again. You know, he's tweeting out, making fun of the Lakers fans and what it's like to be, you know, made fun of by the purple and gold out there. So to see Kuzma make this kind of make this kind of change playing over in Washington, it's really good to see. And I'm happy to see him succeed in the NBA so far. Seedings are starting to form slowly but surely. You see the Suns really starting to break away. Even with that Chris Paul injury, they're currently eight games ahead of second and third place in the West. Miami Heat have been playing fantastic. They've won eight of their last 10 games. They're starting to create a little bit of a gap. Even with the 76ers being as hot as they are, they have a three-game gap on them in the first and second seed, as well as Milwaukee and Chicago are starting to fall off a little bit. Boston's making a huge surge, and Cleveland is right there as well. I'm excited to see how this unfolds and where this kind of goes, because you are going to see some crazy matchups in the first round of, of guys, potentially even Brooklyn versus Miami in the first, and that would be insane to watch. So stay tuned, see what's going on. Appreciate you guys coming by and listening to episode 23. Like I said, I'm your host, Andrew Bostic. Be sure to check us out on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. If you guys want to see anything or hear anything, be sure to comment, let us know, email, whatever you got. I'm excited to see it. And if you guys want to come along, let us know what you want. See you guys next time.